Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. Good morning, Ben. I'm Adam Pranica. I really have a morning voice, don't I? You do. You really sound like you do. Oh, it's the best voice, isn't it? Man, I I think it is. I hope I come up with a like a Barry White song parody spontaneously at some point or over the course of today's recording, because yeah. I could really hit those notes. Whoa! <laughs> do it again! Do what? Oh, do this? <laughs> <laughs> you don't want me to do this the whole show. You've never been a cigarette smoker, right? Like, this is all morning voice. Oh. There's no, like, lung damage to this. I tried very hard to be a cigarette smoker when I was in college because I was, you know, I was living in New York. I was in the village, NYU. You needed anything you could. To be cool. I get it. I couldn't do it. I, I bought myself a pack of cigarettes, and my roommates all left for a weekend, and I was like, I'm going to sit in this dorm room and smoke all weekend and get myself... And destroy your roommate's belongings. Well, I was, I was like puffing out through the window, but uh, uh-huh. none of my roommates were not smokers, by the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> They'd already ruined their belongings. That's an important part of the story. <laughs> yeah, it didn't take... Well, I'm glad it didn't. That's a tough habit to break. Mistakes were made. I mean, it was a bad thought that I had Mm -hmm. to try to become a smoker. Yeah. I also, it will surprise no one to learn that I bought like a very fancy pack of cigarettes. Oh, God. (laughs) I just cashed a very large bet. Ben, thank you. (laughs) Bets, bets, bets. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, yeah. So this is like a a $30 pack of European cigarettes that you got? It wasn't European. I think it was American Spirit Red Organic. So like Uh big, beefy. The best worst you could do. Yeah, like handcrafted cigarette kind of a deal. And yeah, it wasn't, it didn't take. But uh, it sounds like it took. This voice is partly down to the fact that I was up with my buds playing D&D last night and, uh, you know, eating pizza and wow. drinking glasses of rum. You know, this would have been a great cigarette night when you describe it like that. I know. But they just didn't take. Or like, you know, <laughs> I hosted and I wasn't going to allow people to smoke in the house, but th- there have been joints in play at <laughs> these D&D gatherings in the past. Just, yeah, roll for spliff. Yeah, not at houses where there's a baby sleeping through a thin Home Depot grade door. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you let the FODs know that uh, that Darone is not in any danger of secondhand weed smoke <laughs> in that household. He sure isn't. Well, we're up early. Let's get this fucking episode down. <laughs> you gotta take a drive down to San Diego. Yeah. I gotta... Uh, record all my ads for this week and get a bunch of emails sent out. Yeah, this might be the earliest record we've ever done. Eight in the AM. Eight AM. Woof. We got a dime holding up a dollar, Adam. Let's let's record this bad boy. All right, Ben. It's Star Trek Voyager season seven, episode eight, Nightingale. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. Blue alert! Blue alert! 
I wanted five more minutes of this scene. <laughs> Voyager's on the ground doing heavy maintenance. And this is like, sometimes when I'm playing Civ or when I used to play SimCity, I wouldn't even like take my turn right away. I just want to watch the activity. Yeah. And this is that scene. Like the scale of what's going on to the ship, all the people scurrying around on its hull. Yeah. The little shuttles flying around, carrying parts and so forth. Yeah, the, the shuttles are sort of being used as like forklifts and cranes. I love this. I love it so much. I never thought of that. Do you think a forklift shuttle rating is different from a shuttle rating in that like more people on the crew are, are forklift shuttle certified <laughs> than shuttle pilot certified? Oh, yeah. I have a class two rating. Or is it harder to do it that way? Like, the shuttles are kind of designed for atmospheric entry and stuff. They're not necessarily, like, um, you know, built for, like, hovering in one specific spot as they delicately lower a chunk of a nacelle into the, into the ship, right? That's the thing about driving a forklift and operating its forks is, like, there is a lot of fine detail blurping of the joystick yeah you know and like i gotta believe you're not doing too much of that when you're at flight yeah in a shuttle because like the thing about that fine detail blurping is that you're working against a machine that has a ton of inertia on its side yeah, yeah. and is like firmly sitting on the ground and a shuttle a gust of wind is gonna knock that chunk of nacelle against the sidewall you might damage it yeah you can't have that that's that's not a sellable piece of uh, warp nacelle right there. <laughs> you banged yeah. it against the hull. The Starship fax is going to come back bad. <laughs> yeah. What did you make of the scale of the ship? Because there's no better moment in Star Trek than to perceive its scale when the ship is on the ground and people are actually walking on it. Yeah. I wish I wasn't so disappointed. Like... Voyager always felt bigger to me, and when you see the ship on the ground like this, and you see it compared to the people walking on it, it just kind of seems like an office building in the valley, you right. know? And that doesn't seem like it's, it's ship size. You want it to seem like biggest cruise ship currently in service. It is not cruise ship size. It's not even maybe half cruise ship size. I mean... The crew complement is so much smaller than the D. Yeah. And I guess that sort of makes sense in yeah. that context. So You compare saucer on the ground scene with Voyager on the ground. It's a totally different situation here. It really is. So this is a big maintenance overhaul that BLT has been begging the captain to let her do for a while. And uh, we learn as... BLT and the captain are marching around the ship that uh, we are six days away from having warp drive back. Chicote's like, so if you just beg the captain long enough, eventually she'll relent? <laughs> Interesting. Sounds great. <laughs> Looks like a change in strategy is in store for Chicote. <laughs> yeah, so uh, lots of work going on. In the engineering section, we catch up with Icheb, who has uh, affected a brief power fluctuation uh, so that he could fix something. And uh, 
you know, when you're on a film set and a light goes out, it's a big deal. And mm-hmm. you're supposed to you're supposed to call out to let people know it's intentional when you're shutting something off so yeah. that it doesn't cause a panic in the electrical department. Ichib is not doing that. You know, he just he just shows up after the lights come back and he's like, Yeah, that was me. <laughs> you don't get promotions on a film set for fixing a problem you caused either. No, you sure don't. So uh but this does really impress BLT and Janeway. I'd say you're capable of a lot more than delivering pads, Echeb. So Echeb gets kind of seconded to the engineering crew as they do this maintenance overhaul. And uh, I really took exception to the way Janeway characterized this as she marched out of engineering because she really undermined the rest of the engineering staff. She's like, maybe you'll get something done finally. Yeah, I don't love that at all. (laughs) That's got to feel terrible. What's with the attitude this episode, Janeway? (laughs) You've been toiling down in the guts of this ship for seven fucking years while this captain gets you stranded and then gets you in all kinds of danger on the way home. And then you finally get a chance to do the big maintenance overhaul. And in the process of promoting like a 15-year-old dickhead to your crew. Yeah. She makes this characterization of the kind of work you do? I feel like there needed to be an extra tag to why she's so upset and and why she wants this done so much faster. Like, maybe the air smells like shit. <laughs> because that, like that's one of the qualities of being on the ground that's so cool. Like, the light and the fresh air has got to be just a trip if you're working on the ship. And maybe yeah. maybe the planet they've chosen is just... Bad for that. Yeah. She did say something about, I wish we could open all the windows, right? Yeah. Yeah, but, like, in that exterior shot, the doors are open. Yeah. The cargo bay doors are open and some other hatches and so forth. I just think that probably most of the windows installed on a starship are non-operable, you know? It's not like there's, like, a a bug screen on the outside of all, (laughs) all those windows. Do you think starship windows are, like, subway or train windows where, like, with with a lever, those things are coming out. <laughs> In case of emergency. Yeah. <laughs> um, boy. Probably not. Yeah, I don't think so. Um. <laughs> you know the Delta Flyers got those windows, right? In the case of a crash landing. Yeah. And that's where uh, Neelix and Kim are at the moment. Neelix sleeping upright. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of the exact same config is the beginning of the last episode i thought except for you just swap out neelix for mark oh hi mark right and everybody's annoyed at neelix now (laughs) as you would be for any length of time and uh again the uh delta flyer is caught in the middle of a space battle this time not one that they are directly involved in it's it's two ships set tripping, and the and the Delta Flyer just happens to be in space in between them. One of those ships is cloaked. What do you make of the logic of this scene? Like, the Delta Flyer is minding its own damn business, and this cloaked ship has chosen to drive in front of it. Hmm. Is that a useful oh. thing for the cloaked ship to have done? Maybe it's like when you're like trying to hide your radar signature as an airplane and you fly right under the MIG that you're, you know. Yeah, yeah. So in this analogy, the Delta Flyer's the MIG. 
Yeah, the the Delta Flyers, the MIG, uh-huh. Maverick is flying this cloaked ship. Maybe yeah, and if it's like a bit of a dirty cloak, this could help conceal where they are from the other ships. It's not working. I like this quick reveal though, because it seems for a moment like these are warning shots being shot in front, like shot in the path yeah. of the Delta Flyer. But no, these are actually hitting the target, which is this cloaked ship. Yeah. This is the moment that leads to theme, and after the theme. Kim wants to bug out of there. Yeah. They get a FaceTime from a guy that is just covered in burger over on the ship that got tagged. And he's saying something about humanitarian mission. And Kim is like, how do you even know that word? (laughs) My very name is racist. (laughs) I love how Kim gets two bites of the retreat apple. He's like, all right, we're, we're getting the fuck out of here. And then the guy gets on the FaceTime like, help us. And Kim's like, <laughs> all right, we're still turning around. And Neelix takes great umbrage with this. Both of these choices. Neelix and Seven, the non-Starfleets, are like, come on, Harry. Like, mm-hmm. this is this is bad. If you leave these guys, it's bad, and you'll be bad. Like, Harry, there might be a lady on board. <laughs> covered in hamburger meat? Yeah. There's no girl, not this time. Get up, Harry. He's like kind of citing chapter and verse to them. He's like, the Starfleet policy is that if you're observing two alien species getting in some kind of conflict with each other, you don't intervene. And going and helping these people would definitely be an intervention. And uh, we could just avoid the whole situation if we don't. But they really make him feel bad. And so there is an away mission to this ship that has been kind of characterized as a medical ship. This is a crucial moment in the episode. Kim does a little magic trick to the attacking ship and and gets them to fuck off before they beam on board the damaged ship. Yeah. He uh, he overloads their, their weapons with a deflector pulse. They should do this more often mm-hmm. if this is if this is a thing you can do. For some reason, Kim chooses Neelix as the second in this Dustbuster Club. <laughs> and when they get on board this damaged ship, it's girders all over the place. Oh, man. So many deads uh, and uh, so much burger meat. They, they should really have a barbecue. The captain caught a girder. Half the crew is dead. Yeah. And these people that, that Kim and Neelix are talking to, they're not... The crew of the ship, they, they style themselves as passengers. So they're not going to be allowed to help. Ron Glass is playing Loken, who is one of the people that describes himself as a passenger. And uh, Ron Glass has had a great career. He's been in a bunch of other, specifically sci-fi things that I've really enjoyed. You think they call him Mr. Glass? Yeah, probably. Yeah, they got to do that. I thought it was so interesting how he felt super high status the second he walked in despite not claiming to be in the rank structure of this ship does Loken have riz is that what this is i think he's got the riz like if he if he had a badge it would be low as hell god yeah it'd be it'd be on the tip of his boot <laughs> it's as good as it gets yeah he's uh, he's great so you know they're talking about Oh, yeah, like there's all these vaccines on this ship and we need to get them to our planet because we're in this war with these other assholes. And uh, 
you know, this is a bad situation for us. So Kim works on getting emergency power back. And it's amazing. Like, Kim seems to know more about how this ship works than the survivors on board the ship. It's amazing. He's like a magician in there. Yeah. Digging in those computer guts, hitting switches and things blurt back online. No problem. But, like, the thing that the passengers really want, more than a functional drive or lights, or even air is this cloak. The cloak is the thing they want. More than friends, more than family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they get the cloak back uh, because the cloak is the thing that is uh, of greatest importance to them. What about the bodies? Should we clean up the bodies? Nope. Nah. Cloak. We kind of like how it smells. <laughs> cloak first. So there's also this junior officer guy, and he is like really like, wow, you must be like in charge of everything where you come from because I'm a junior officer and I don't know shit. And Harry's like, no, I'm also a super junior officer. And uh, it's kind of junior officer without game, recognized junior officer with game here. This guy is Tarek. And he, like a lot of people on the ship, sort of looked to me like like they were wearing uh, breadbasket uniforms of the old Romulan kind. You know what I mean? Totally. Really strong shoulders. Agreed on this one issue. An alien loaf that sort of reminded me of Bajoran, the way it folds over at the nose. Mm -hmm. But then they got weird ears too. Yeah. He's got a lot of questions. Questions that for a younger person might sound very annoying. Mm -hmm. But uh, he wants to know what mean Ensign? What means Starfleet? Yeah. Why aren't you a captain, Harry Kim? And Harry's like, man, I can't believe you guys know the word humanitarian, but you don't know the word ensign. Kim is great here. He tries to be positive about their circumstances. He's like, look, I've endured warp drive failures and attacks from alien species and venereal disease dozens and dozens of times over the course of my mission. You guys will be fine. You guys will get through this. In the last seven years... I can count on one hand how many days it didn't burn when I peed. <laughs> this guy may not have fucked the wrong woman yet, but he will. Oh, he will. <laughs> you just got to stick with it, Derek. <laughs> you think you're having regrets now? That's when you'll have regrets. Yeah. Down the line. We cut back to Voyager. We get another one of these establishing shots of the exterior of the ship parked on the planet surface. God, just want to fucking slam that into my arm. Yeah. The best. Then we go to a cargo bay where Icheb is doing some work at a console while having sad desk salad. He uh, reads as kind of a Tannenbaum here, doesn't he? Yeah, I guess so. I was also just distracted by like the upright barrels on top of high shelves all over this cargo bay. Yeah. Those are backbreakers right there. That's what they're called after, <laughs> after the incident with Worf. Yeah, when Klingon Balana walks into the room, I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> ben, say you're a food stylist on Star Trek. Okay. And your task is to design a plate of food for an alien. And it's very important that the design of this food is to look like fucking dog food, like, like Nutri-Nuggets, like bland, uninteresting, unpalatable, 
whatever. Yeah. Nutritional supplements replicated to meet my metabolic requirements. Sounds delicious. You'll look at this plate of food that Egypt's eating. Yeah. This looks like nachos, right? This is a plate of nachos. How do you miss like this? <laughs> it looks like unloaded nachos specifically. There's no cut up pickled jalapenos. There's no cilantro. There's no pico de gallo. So I'm mostly getting just like just chips, like mostly just chips, like nothing on them. Egypt, is this your idea of a bland meal? You know, it actually doesn't look that dissimilar from like a less wet version of what I've got over here. Yeah, from here, when you do what I do, it's mostly chilaquiles. <laughs> Just mopping those around on the floor. <laughs> what I wouldn't give for a crisp chip. <laughs> hey. Why don't you have cilantro? You have the luxury of cilantro and you're not taking advantage of it? In rolls BLT, who observes the plate of not fully loaded nachos and that he's working through lunch. And she seems concerned about him in a way BLT has not been concerned about anyone in her entire career. <laughs> this is suspicious to me. So you're saying that... that- Ichib has good cause to be thinking that maybe something ulterior is going on in this moment. I thought so. <laughs> why does she want to go rock climbing with me all of a sudden? Yeah. And why does she want to go first? It's not about the rocks, Ichib. It's about the climbing. She is talking about fun and enjoyment. Is, these are themes that were pretty heavily involved in the previous episode with Seven, like yeah. not ever thinking it's worth it to replicate some food that would actually taste good. You know, you just replicate the food that gets you your nutritional needs met. Ichib doesn't exactly give her an answer to the invitation either. Come on, Ichib. Are you in or are you out? I say go for it and do let her go first. The view is nice. <laughs> we cut over to the damaged ship where uh, things are looking back to normal. And Kim is ready to throw the keys back to the crew. The problem is no one on this ship knows how to drive stick. Yeah. And uh, that's a problem. Couldn't maybe Kim be the captain now? Look at him. Look at him. <laughs> is he the captain now? And he's like, uh, you know, I'm going to just put in like some nav information and I'll... Uh, I'll I'll show Tarek how to like push down the the clutch, you know. But uh, I I got I really got to go, guys. And they're like, it'll save thousands of lives. And he's like, oh, you guys. This is why, by and large, people don't like doing favors for strangers because there's always the second ask that they're afraid of. It's not that they're afraid of doing the initial favor; it's that follow up. Yeah, and that's what this is. Now it's a thing. You rule. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Just bring the TV in and stick it in the um, fireplace there and and go. So if you see someone broken down on the side of a rural highway somewhere, you just blow on by. Yeah. <laughs> you do one thing for them and that's it. Yeah. And you say that up top. Mm -hmm. I'm here to give you a canteen of water, but I'm getting the fuck out after that. The thing that works here for this favor is that the path of the ship is going to take them past where Voyager is anyway. 
so what they offer to do is like, look, we're going to get off when we get near Voyager and then you can take it the rest of the way. But sure, I'll drive the ship up until then. It's actually good news for, for them also because they get to park the Delta Flyer in the hold of a cloaked ship. Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah, they're just going to leave it in there. How many opportunities do you get to be cloaked when you're in Starfleet? This is fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many opportunities does Kim have to be captain? This reads as the first time, but I think the real danger here is making Neelix a real bridge officer, and that's also what's happened. Yeah. It's fun to do bad things, though. Yeah. And he smokes with cigarettes. One of the first. Do it. Do it. Do it. I mean, right away, the ship gets to the planet where Voyager has been doing its repairs. But unfortunately, three Inari ships are in orbit. And I love the hero shot of Harry Kim into the commercial here. This is great. It is great. The Inari are the, are the guys that they are trying to avoid. And when we're back from the Kim eyes to commercial, the reveal is that the Inari are a pretty friendly group when you aren't right in between them and, uh, and their prey. So... Chicote and the captain are are giving this Anari dude a, a tour of the ship and talking about uh, you know trades that they could be getting into with each other. This could be a very profitable relationship for them. Everyone's happy. It's going great. The awkward part happens when Kim blows in a call asking if everything is okay. Yeah, but like Kim is pretty clever about how he does this. He's the one to speak. He doesn't give up the game on comms. He's uh It's a voice call and not a FaceTime. Yeah. Really smart. And and like I know this is unfair, but a little bit suspicious right off the bat of the Anari just because like some of their loaf is vaguely Cardassian looking. Oh. Yeah. It's a bad reputation. Yeah. I don't know if they've been tarred with the Cardi brush or not, but uh, it sort of looks like they have. On Kim's ship after the call is over, Loken. He's really pissed off about this because this looks like an alliance that's that's forming between Voyager and the Inari. And Kim is like, no, we like being friends with everyone. We like sitting at every table in the lunchroom. Mm-hmm. You see this fence? I love riding this thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this isn't really, in this scene anyway, enough for Loken to feel much better about what's going on here. Loken has... On the one hand, no love for anyone who will fucks with an Inari, but on the other hand, great need in terms of the skills that Harry Kim is bringing to the table. Yeah. He and his guys can't get their ship where it needs to go without Harry Kim, so he can't just throw Harry Kim to the wolves right now. It's almost as though he's willing to put up with a lot of shit in order to accomplish his goals. Yeah. 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 Same! <laughs> Afterward, Kim introduces Loken to Janeway aboard Voyager in the conference room, a conference room which is lit by natural light. Oh, and it is so gorgeous. So pretty. I loved it. Much like the light streaming into the studio this morning, Ben. It looks like your studio, beautifully bathed in the morning mm. light, just as mine yeah. is. Oh, pretty nice. So gorgeous. We should, I mean, the viewers would probably appreciate it if we did this. I know the listeners would. (laughs) This is as low as my voice gets. 
<laughs> I can't get any lower. <laughs> I get any lower, I sound like Charles Brunson. <laughs> hey, things could be worse. <laughs> and after the meeting is over, Janeway kind of lights into Kim. She's like, look, I'm the one that does diplomacy. Yeah. I'm the one that makes decisions like these. But also, I probably would have done the same thing as you, given the necessity of the aid you were able to provide here. Maybe it's just the beautiful natural light bathing this room. <laughs> but here's a light scolding. You've put me in a difficult position, Ensign. She's like, all right, I'm going to delegate this mission now. And Kim is like, no, no, I want this one. I started it. Let me finish it. I love the the chutzpah of getting in trouble from your boss and turning that into a, like, give me more responsibility at work, like, take more risks on me Yeah. moment for Kim. I wish I had had the wherewithal to do this in the many work environments I got into trouble, you know? Oh, my God. Like, to turn my dipshitness into, like, a managerial opportunity for someone else would have been great for all involved. You just sometimes have to help the manager see <laughs> that your dipshitness is an asset. Yeah. I mean, until you put pen to paper on your performance review saying stuff like that. It, uh... Right. <laughs> Adam is chaotic and often misses meetings for no apparent reason. <laughs> it's, it's a lot like uh, the tone of a text message being missed. Like, you uh -huh. shouldn't write it down in your yeah. performance appraisal. Oh, man. I Yeah, I, had a, I wrote an email this morning that I like... I was like, the more flowery like language I put into this, the the bigger dick I come across as. I feel. Like. Yeah, you got to get that out of there. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a question, and I just deleted everything that wasn't the question. I hope this email finds you well. What the fuck is happening? <laughs> <laughs> Have you noticed that Harry Kim kind of has a catchphrase now? The the what the hell is going on? Yeah, but. I don't think that's his. I think Riker started What the Hell is Going On Here. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. What the hell is going on? But I do like, I have room in my heart for both deliveries. Yeah. What the hell is going on? I really appreciate his delivery of it. Um, well, so he gets Baby's first mission, and it is captaining the Kralor ship, but he's going to have a babysitter. <laughs> this is maybe the most insulting part of the entire thing. Janeway's like, well, Seven's not in the in the rank structure, so she'll go with you to keep an eye on the situation, but you'll be in charge, kind of. Fucking Seven cannot get out of babysitting duty, can she? It sucks. Did she prefer babysitting Echeb or babysitting Harry Kim? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. They both seem like a bad deal for her, right? Yeah. Yeah. Over in Six Bay, Ichib tells Dr. Mark that he's there to repair a hollow emitter, but he's really there to ask about social lessons yeah. that he's heard that the doctor teaches. There's a reason for this, a hypothetical reason, and that, that is what to do about someone having a crush on you. Yeah. He has observed some things that he is interpreting as signs that BLT wants to fuck and he would like to just have a little bit more 
you know, a few more tools in his toolbox to interpret these signs and to and to be really sure what he thinks is happening is actually happening before he he takes an action. Do you ever think about how quickly Ichib has matured since arriving on the ship? Like a couple of months ago, Ichib was a Borgs. Yeah. Having like gone through the maturation chamber process, like he's new to solid food. <laughs> and now he's asking about crushes and shit. Yeah. Hey doctor, what's this boner about? <laughs> <clears throat> well, I mean that's partly got to be his age, right? Like when you're that age, like the the testosterone flooding your system is kind of hard to ignore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Now that I'm 40, it's great. I don't have to think about it ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Once the T flies off a cliff, not a problem. (laughs) Pajamas fit a lot better in the morning. Mm, Yeah. Those uh, middle of the night get up to peas. Much easier to accomplish. (laughs) There's no certainty in this. This is the problem for Egypt. He wants to know for sure. How do you know for sure that someone has a crush on you? And the doc's like, well... You know, there's the touching and the hair twirling and uh, the the asking for hangs and so forth. But there's also like medical stuff, yeah. you know, like increased heart rate, pupil dilation. Sweatiness. And like after hearing about this, Ichib wheels around and leaves. Yeah. Ichib's got this thing solved. I think that that's a very funny piece of writing. The idea that a board would be like, okay, there's like a there's like a binary. Like mm-hmm, one, mm-hmm. the second the body does this, this, and this, you know for sure. Yeah, which is a fair misinterpretation of what the EMH is saying. It's true. Thank you, doctor. You've been very helpful. We catch up with Paris in the hallway, and he is uh, running after Harry Kim, who uh, is, you know is about to go on his big mission. And Paris is like, "Take me with you. <laughs> I'm so bored." No fun costumes here for Harry and Paris. Yeah, just checking in on uh, on Harry and Paris fun costume note card here. And uh, yeah, this is a couple episodes down where we're nothing. Mm. No flight suit, no uh, sports uniforms, no uh, black and white costumes. Nothing. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Paris takes some umbrage with the idea of not being invited on this mission. Paris invites Kim on all the missions. Yeah. And Kim points out, like, whenever I'm on a mission with you, you outrank me. And yeah. I'm, I'm sick of being the second fiddle. No more Mr. Sidekick guy. I don't want to be henching. <laughs> sick of henching. Yeah. And Paris, I think, rightly suspects that there's a girl involved. But I would have suspected the lip thing that's going on with Garrett Wong. Hmm. I didn't notice the lips. Oh, has he got a little uh, a little acne? I don't know. It seems like he's got a little lip thing. And I, I hesitated to bring this up because sometimes I'll have a face or a lip thing. Yeah. And that's got to be no fun when you're an actor. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, cool. So this is going on film and then it's going to be on TV forever (laughs) yeah yeah i'm gonna go to the dermatologist and and tell them that uh i've got syndicated acne (laughs) you have anything for that (laughs) no kim winds up in neelix's restaurant 
and Neelix comes up to him with a couple of lunch options, and Kim is like, eh, I'm not really sure. You know, I'm just here to do a little uh, little work on my iPad, so just bring whatever's easiest. Your service is too slow. <laughs> are you telling me you have to go up to every customer and tell them what the specials are? You obviously need to put the menu on the wall. <laughs> Shut it down! The POS system is just two giant colored blocks for <laughs> clomeek soup and eggplant parm. The advice that Neelix gives is like, you know, the captain comes in here. She shoots from the hip. She knows what she wants when she comes down here. And if you're going to be taking on a captain-y role in your, in your mission, you got to have that kind of confidence, buddy. That's easy for Neelix to say the captain always orders vegetable broth. Like, she has her power order. Yeah. What I would have done if I were Neelix is like, you got to come up with your order. That's your thing right. that you get right. every time. That is not what happens. But I did like that uh, Kim ordered the soup. Because we know, to be a truly confident Starfleet captain, you got to have your captain soup. You really do. Yeah, and then, and then you take your leftovers in a thermos. Yeah. Put it right there on the on the chair next to you. <laughs> That's what the greats do. Yeah. Here's the thing with a choice like this, Ben. It's really, it's less about soup versus eggplant parm and more about what kind of day do you want to have after lunch? <laughs> <laughs> Again, this is where you really shine as the co-host of this show because I'm never like... I'm never thinking in those terms. I'm like, oh, yeah, the eggplant parm sounds a little heartier. I'm going to get that. That would absolutely be what you order for lunch. And there is a 0% chance I would order eggplant parm for any lunch ever. <laughs> One of the great joys of going out to lunch with you is whatever I order, you you just like shake your head and marvel. <laughs> You're an incredible machine, Ben. <laughs> so Harry takes the bridge of his new ship and, uh, you know, kind of shows Tarek uh, where his station is, but then kind of does Tarek's work for him the second he sits down. Move! Good deal for Tarek. Yeah. Was that so hard? Harry Kim learns that this ship just has kind of a number and a description. It does not have a name. Yeah. Yeah, I think he can do something about that. Yeah. I thought he should have named it after an ex-girlfriend. Mm. <laughs> the Seska. That would have been fun. <laughs> I mean, that's Chakotay's ex-girlfriend. That's a power move if he tells Chakotay that he named it Seska. <laughs> She's a vicious life-sucking bitch from which there is no escape. I think that there's a pretty good chance that Harry knocked boots with Seska at least once. Seska. That lasted 22 minutes. Gonna dance for it. She wouldn't do something like this. He dubs the ship the Nightingale and uh, the way they warp. Is that problematic? I mean, the the thing about Florence Nightingale is the the effect, right? The unfortunate effect more than the uh, the reputation for great caregiving. Oh, I don't know. Florence Nightingale. I don't really know that much about her. I don't know much about her, but I know she was a nurse, and I know I know the effect is about a, a caregiver falling in love with their patient. Oh, really? That seems Harry Kimmy, right? I guess so. Yeah. Check out the pictures, though. Kind of hot. Yeah. 
Florence Nightingale was a dime. Yeah. This is a triumphant moment for Harry Kim, right? Yeah. He smashes a bottle against the hull, the newly christened Nightingale, and then takes her out. And then we cut to the ready room where he's like putting out captain's trinkets. He's really getting set up. This had to be embarrassing, right? Because you got to pass through the bridge to get to the ready room. And there was a moment that we don't see here where Harry Kim is carrying a saxophone. Oh, yeah. It's all sticking out the top of a banker's box, right? Like <laughs> When he was leaving Voyager, do you think people were like, did Harry Kim get fired? <laughs> it goes completely unspoken, but that Harry Kim plays all woodwinds and not just the clarinet, I think is cool as hell. He's leaving the clarinet on Voyager. He's taking the sax with him to the Nightingale. Pretty cool. It's it's a big sax too, right? That's like a bass saxophone, I think. Yeah, I think I think it's a tenor sax. Okay. If I recall, is a bass even bigger than that? The baritone saxophone is a beast. I I played that in high school. Oh really? Oh boy, that baritone sax uh, goes as deep as your voice in the morning. Wow. Does having an instrument that big like fill me with tea? Yeah. Get you in good with girls in the uh, in the band, you know. Like, are are the are the band girls impressed by your big horn? I blew it with so many girls in the band. <laughs> Just being a fucking idiot, <laughs> and you blow it. Uh, my strategy in high school was not to blow it with any girls by just not even trying. <laughs> by smoking real cigarettes? <laughs> <laughs> I saved that for college. Come on. Your main issue were, were your many attempts at smoking <laughs> throughout your youth. <laughs> there was a fence at your daycare, and there uh, there's Tiny Ben out there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. smoking by the fence. <laughs> What what's a what's the French cigarette? Genois? Galois. Smoking baby Gerois. <laughs> yeah. My little tiny t-shirt sleeve rolled up over the huge pack. <laughs> yeah. That's what you do. Seven comes in. She's got the hourly update on how the ship is going. And she's like, What are you doing? We're staying in this hotel for two nights. You you don't need to put stuff. In the dressers, like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Just leave it in the suitcase, man. We toured so much this year, more than we ever have. Did you ever go in the dresser? We were never anywhere long enough for me to go in the dresser. Yeah. I usually do. Like, if, if it's a three-night or longer stay, I, I like to unpack and get the suitcase out of there so that... Because, like, if you leave the suitcase out for more than a couple of days, the room just turns into a mess if you're not careful. I feel like dressers are a great way to lose your clothes like and, and leave them behind, you know? I'm using hangers. I'm never using a drawer. I use the drawers, I, and, and I've never lost anything. Cause wow. I, I, just, I, I know if I've, if I've used them, I've got to check them, you know? All that money I won on that initial bet this episode, gone. Washed out? Dang! Because uh, you... <laughs> didn't forget clothes in a drawer ever no never once i'm really impressed that's awesome i do lose shit but not that way mm. i love seven's take here can't believe a saxophone is in your ready room <laughs> it's incredible why have you brought these items aboard it's not a good use of your time is what she's saying yeah and 
further bad use of your time is giving everybody commands and then going ahead and just doing the command for them. Yeah, the coolest part about being a captain is just delegating and then sitting back, drinking your soup. Delegating is not something he's used to doing. So he's struggling with that aspect of command. And Seven is is really trying to talk him into, like, just just let them, like, make mistakes and shit. It's fine. You can, you know, like, people learn from mistakes just the way you did. And Harry just ignores this. He goes out and is, like, all up in Tarek's business, like, putting his hands under Tarek's arms so that he can, like, push buttons on his keyboard until he just shoves him out of the way. Move! Yeah, Kim is really uh, Nick Burns, your company's computer guy, about this situation. <laughs> oh, by the way, you're welcome. I've got to get that platinum. Get that low metal argument. I've got to get that platinum. Would not. Are you planning a heist? Gold. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Speaking of uh, people's hands getting really close to each other while they work, Echeb and BLT are in a very steamy Jeffrey's tube together. Oh, yeah. You should go low with your voice for this description. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Echeb and BLT. They're in a Jeffrey's tube. You know it. She's reaching for computer chips. He's reaching for computer chips. Their hands meet in the middle. <laughs> he knows what's up. When she goes through the roof of that Jeffrey's tube, he scans that ass. <laughs> <laughs> Off the charts. <laughs> That's what this ass is. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, you see the measurement on the screen of the tricorder, like, blow through the... <laughs> side of the screen. Yeah, that tricorder gets hot. Mm. Like a new iPhone. Bubbles over. Yeah. Back on the Nightingale, uh, there are some beeps that tell the crew that the cloak is about to fail. And then it does. And then the cloak room, it's clear that Loken wants to be careful. This is a very important piece of tech, a very high dollar value. Yeah. And uh, Kim just wants to get everything done his way. His way or the highway. And Seven calls out his shit after this incident. He's not letting these people learn or gain confidence. Do you get what I'm saying here, Kim? Do you understand? Like now two full scenes about this. Yeah. You're a bad captain, Harry Kim. (laughs) That's the point that I'm trying to make here. You fucking suck. Yeah. And it's like it, it's like they get the, the cloak back and then it's like a smash cut to another experience where the cloak is failing. And now Inari vessels are catching them. And it's like a lot of them. Six vessels. They're going to get killed. Do you think there's a number of enemy vessels? Like, you think there's a rule when you're writing Star Trek about how many is the max? I feel like six is the max. Six is a lot. Yeah, unless you're doing like a Dominion War scene. Yeah. Six is, is probably where you, you cap out. Yeah. They don't have the defenses for six ships. The scene was very interesting to me because it suddenly seems so potentially deadly. And I don't feel like Kim really gave voice to this in his conversation with Janeway. Like, I know that Seven and I will be putting our lives on the line for these people, but I think it's worth it, mm-hmm. you know, for the vaccines or anything. Like, it it seemed like a, a pretty low-stakes adventure he was asking for permission to go on. Yeah, it seemed at the time that this was going to be, like, harbor master duty for Harry Kim and not yeah. war, which is what it turned out to be. Now the Anari are going to shoot his ass. 
I don't know. Just trying stuff. <laughs> Poor Seven tries to repair things in another area and gets a blast of rocks to the face. <sighs> Both she and another person go down because of these rocks. What are they doing keeping keeping decorative rocks <laughs> in your engineering area? <laughs> We found these in the garden section of our local home center, and we've loaded a bunch of panels up with them for, for a nice festive look. Now when you buy these, you're going to want to buy them in square yards. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's uh, the cloak area of the ship, and Dela gets sent down. She's one of the other people, one of the other civilian people on board. She gets sent down to try and fix the cloak while they do evasive maneuvers to get away from these Inaris. And when we cut down to the room where the cloak is, we see Dela like dragging Seven's body over the threshold of the door and then closing the door behind her. She's like fully put herself in the Spock box here to get ship out of danger. <laughs> yeah, she's great. Real hero turn. Yeah. If they open that door back up, they might flood the whole compartment. I know. Yeah. So uh, the, this works. They get away, but Seven is, you know, passed out in, in a stateroom. And Loken comes in and he's like, how's she doing? And Harry Kim's like, man, well, I'm glad you're here. You're a very talented doctor. So why don't you tell me? Unfortunately, uh, Loken is Dr. Nick in this situation. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hi, Hi Dr. Dr. Nick. Not all doctors are the same. This is where we get Harry Kim's signature catchphrase. Yeah. What the hell is going on? I don't know what you mean. Maybe the best captain's move Harry gets in this episode is ordering the one-on-one -on -one in the ready room, right? This is a captain thing to do. Yeah. You and I need to talk alone. My office, now. <laughs> In this ready room, Loken is distracted by the saxophone, right? <laughs> what, like, what, what is, is that? What do, what do you do with it? Is it some kind of cooking device or a weapon? As curious as Tarek was about, you know, what mean Ensign and so forth, what means saxophone yeah. is what Loken is thinking. There was a really nice framing choice at the beginning of the scene. There's a circular wall sconce in Harry Kim's ready room. And when he walks in, it perfectly frames his head like a halo. Wow. And I thought it did a really nice job of conveying the idea that Harry is like kind of an innocent here. But he is finding out in this scene that this was never a humanitarian objective. This is a military mission. Loken developed a cloaking technology, and they are trying to get that technology back to their home world through a blockade that the Inari have erected around it. Kim is really upset in this scene because he hears the truth of what's going on here, what this ship does, who these people are, how instrumental they are in this tech. And the scene finally ends in this crescendo where Harry Kim is like, and you didn't call it? A cloaking device? <laughs> <laughs> it's such a missed opportunity. What are you doing? <laughs> They'll remember you forever for this. Yeah. You always name it after you. 
Yeah. Your name would be right in there in one of the key technologies that your people have. Yeah. Ah, uh, you blew it. You blew it. And he's so disappointed in Loken for this specifically that he's like, all right, we're turning around. We're going back to my ship. We're yeah. going to talk this out with my captain. Yeah. This is a little bit above my pay grade. And so he goes out and he goes to Tarek. He's like, all right, man, turn her around. Mm-hmm. Head right back to where you picked us up. And Tarek doesn't do it. And... uh Harry's like, okay, you're relieved. Like, this other guy will do it. And no, come on. Like, none of these guys have any incentive to follow your orders if it doesn't suit their needs. All of the energy of the mutiny scene in Crimson Tide, like, you know what that energy feels like. Yeah. This scene is exactly the opposite. Cobb does not side with Harry Kim. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Poor Harry Kim. Yeah. Harry Kim should have been made to take a saxophone out of the ready room after this. Yeah. It sucks. Logan just like breaks the saxophone over his knee. Yeah. Tonal shifts don't get any more abrupt than cutting back over to Voyager where Paris runs into Ichib in a corridor. I love how not at all stressed about Ichab Paris is. Like, Ichab's energy is really, like, Ichab has been putting horny on Maine this whole episode, and we haven't seen Paris directly observe that, but it's just impossible for me to imagine that Paris hasn't seen what's going on, just given Paris. You've been seeing a lot of my wife lately. Should I be worried? I love the energy that goes, like, I'm so confident in my own relationship that the idea of there being any threat to it is insulting. Yeah. And I wish to insult you with the idea of that. Heard you're going rock climbing with wifey. Uh, Enjoy. Yeah. (laughs) You should ask her to go first. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And Paris challenges him to a, a car race on the holodeck. Like, Paris's energy here is like, yeah, whatever. I mean, that's like being invited to the batting cages by Mark McGuire, right? Like, he's going to fucking kick your ass. Yeah. Yeah, Ichib just doesn't have the experience to recognize what this is. Yeah. I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Do you think that there's subtext in this scene that, like, Paris did this intentionally? Like, Paris, like, knew that Echeb was up to something and is like, I'm going to go just, like, I'm, I'm just going to Cal Hudson the hell out of him. He's going to realize that this is not something that he should pursue and, in fact, something that he should run as fast away from as he possibly can. Or do you think Paris is just unthreatened and doesn't even think about it at all? Well, I'm going to answer your question with a question. Like, can't you tell, like, my friends who have teenage kids, like, can't mm. you tell how fucking dumb teenagers are when you spend <laughs> any time with them? Like, how bad they are at covering up their intentions? I feel like this is just an adult and a teenager having that kind of relationship. Like, it's obvious to Paris what's going on here. And I think that makes your insinuation correct. Yeah. Like, he is fucking with him. So, on that theory, this fucking works great. Because <laughs> Ichab goes into engineering and is like, hey, listen, BLT, I got bad news for you. <laughs> <laughs> 
this is like the student telling the teacher that they can't be together. And the teacher's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sure. Go out to recess. (laughs) And then she laughs and laughs about it in the lounge. As much as it hurts, I'll just have to face the truth. It's for the best. God, he's an idiot. Like, she has to yes-and her way out of this, basically. Like, she's like, okay, yeah, well, I'm really disappointed, Ichab, but I guess that's just going to have to be how it is. Well, she has to yes-and it after no-butting it a bunch of times and then realizing that's not going to work. Right. He's too dumb. Yeah. I could have seen that coming from a mile away, and I kind of did because I'm nearly that far to the other side of this bay. You know what else should have been a mile away? The drain pipe on our home world. Spilling into the center of our city. It was pointed in the wrong ass direction. That's just my humble opinion on the matter. Poor Ichib does the thing. Like, look, we dunk on Ichib a lot, but I don't know anyone who hasn't made this mistake. You you confuse someone's niceness for them being interested, and all hell breaks loose in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. And for someone without a lot of reps in the real world, you understand how this could be confusing. That's one of the main reasons being a teenager sucks so much. I think the world would be a better place if we could all just be nicer to each other without that niceness being interpreted as wanting to fuck each other, you know? <laughs> that would be good. That would be pretty good. People can make conversations without it being a hit. The whole world is not a hit. Okay. Harry goes to check on Seven as she recovers from her injuries. He's pretty bummed because he's basically been relieved of command and he tells her a little bit about the situation with no vaccine. And he's like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> these guys are shady as fuck. Uh, I'm not surprised that you got kicked out of being captain of this ship. And uh, Harry's like, well, we can get in an escape pod and head back to Voyager that way and just like hope that the Inari don't shoot the escape pod just because it's there. Seven's like, I know why you want to get into an escape pod. You want to eat your own ropes again. (laughs) (laughs) Just stop, Harry Kim. Yeah. This is a, a great moment for Seven. A great like, this is why the captain sent her. She... Nobody can give a pep talk like this. It's true. I love the reversal that Seven does to Harry Kim here. She turns retreat into encouragement. Like, these crew people feel very capable without him. But somehow Seven makes the case that they're going to die without him, without his great leadership and knowledge. As bad as Kim feels about having that one body on his conscience... He better figure out a way to uh, to get this crew on his side so that uh, he doesn't get any more bodies. This is a video game that you cannot rage quit. So yeah, up on the bridge, we find that there is some kind of scanning system that's been put around the Kralor homeworld. Are they Kralor? Sure. It's just like a made-up alien. Yeah. Don't you agree with me that like season seven Voyager Alien are like all one-offs and they all feel like one-offs? Like they don't put as much work into like what these people are about because it's like we'll never see them again. So who gives a shit? 
Did you know at the time that season seven would be the last season of Star Trek Voyager when it was coming out? Oh, I don't know. Like, I wonder to what extent that changes how you watch the show. Like, this is it for them. Yeah. I'm not that interested to begin with, but I wonder if in the late 90s when you're watching this, if right. if you're disappointed at, at the lack of story here. Right. You're like, man, like, I hope we get a few more episodes that we learn, like, what this war is about and whether we yeah. sympathize with the Kralor or the Inari more, uh-huh. you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, none of that. We we never get any clarification uh, on that. So, uh, yeah, Kim and Seven come back to the bridge, and Kim kind of takes back over uh, command. This is the most unbelievable part of the episode to me. Like, he yeah. walks on the bridge, and Loken's like, here, wings him the keys. <laughs> he does nothing to earn this. Yeah, other than just, like, knowing what he's doing way more than anyone else. He's got that confidence when he chooses to demonstrate it. Yeah. So meanwhile, on Voyager, which is still grounded, they get a call from the Inari guy that they were talking to before. And he's like, hey, so uh, deal off. All of the dilithium and shit we were going to trade with you uh, is now off the table. Because what the fuck? You're helping our enemies? Yeah. And Janeway's like, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) Janeway's like, don't destroy us. Escort us. Yeah. We definitely don't shoot escorts. Yeah. Grim Reaper's visiting with you. They know all about what happened with the Delta Flyer and the, the Kralor and everything. And Gerald is like, you know, you, you better get the fuck out of here. Like, <laughs> I don't want to have to shoot you off the surface of this planet. Yeah, it would be easy for him. Janeway's like, all right, well, we'll take this escort. We'll have to get rid of them at some point. And away they head. And we cut back to the plant where Harry Kim is is trying to get through this, like, cloak chip detector field that the Inari have erected around the Kralor homeworld. And it's not going well. Like, every time they get hit by one of these waves, it reveals their ship a little bit. And Inari ships are shooting at them. And the bangers are coming fast and intense. And... uh and the ship is is about to come apart. And this is when Harry does a very Kirk-like maneuver. Yeah. He surrenders. Really does feel that way. Pretty fun. Yeah, I liked it. There are conditions to this surrender, though. Got to give us some time to stuff people in escape pods so that they can eat their ropes on the way to the <laughs> planet's surface. <laughs> yeah. And the and the lead the lead Graylord guy's like what? <laughs> you don't have to be that graphic with what's going to happen on the escape pods, okay? And Harry's like, no, no, seriously, try it. And he's like, no, I don't think you understand. We've been in space for years researching this cloaking technology. We haven't had access to pineapple in a long time. My semen just tastes like semen. Everyone on the Nightingale is pissed. You surrendered? This feels like Kim's going to lose the crew a second time. Yeah. But this is a trick. Because Kim's idea is to do the thing that he did at the very beginning of the episode, using the shield polarity, in order to slingshot the Nightingale toward the planetary defenses, past them, and into safety. And they do that. In a very exciting scene. This works great. Yeah. They're just barely faster than the ships chasing them. Mission accomplished. Yeah. 
with like a minute and 30 seconds left in the episode, the Voyager shows up at the Kralor homeworld and a ship comes out of cloak behind them. And uh, yeah, it's a, ultimately things went well for Kim. It sort of seems like they get some of their trading done with the Kralor. Seems like it. Like, it was a little unclear to me, but yeah, the, uh, you know, it, it, not a total victory, but, uh, you know, I think it was a great learning opportunity for Harry Kim. Hey, you know what would be fucking great to trade for? Cloaking technology? Mm-hmm. That would be good. Guess they don't need that. Well, you know, the Romulans would be pissed if they found out about it. Yeah. So Kim's back in the mess hall, and uh, it's decision time. Souffle or lasagna? I'm not eating either of those for lunch. No? Oh, I love a lasagna. Give me the lasagna for lunch. That's half the fun of making a lasagna is you get lasagna for lunch the next day. Lasagna, za! Lasagna, pizza, za! Next day lasagna is superior to night of lasagna. Every time, right? Yeah, it really rolls. It really tightens up, doesn't it? It does. Uh, all those flavors meld into each other. Yeah. I made my uh, my famous lasagna for my in-laws when we did our little Thanksgiving trip. Big hit. Famous lasagna? You should have seen the fistful of uh, lactate pills my, uh, my mother-in-law had to consume in order to get this lasagna down. Good for her. <laughs> yeah. But I, I pulled no punches. I, I, I hit that thing with cream. I hit that thing with all the cheeses. Wow. Did you uh, serve it with Adam's famous garlic bread? I should have. I fucked up. I didn't I didn't serve it with Adam's famous garlic bread. That's fine. I would have given you the recipe. So uh yeah, Harry Kim talking to Neelix about, you know, being a captain was an interesting experience, but uh I guess you could say Yo soy marinero. Yo soy marinero. No soy capitán. No soy capitán. No soy capitán. That's the end of the episode. Did you like it, Ben? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was a pretty fun episode. It's definitely like feeling to me like the like half-acidness of the alien design is, is starting to kind of grate on me in season seven. Mm. You know, uh... I think like the most interesting alien we maybe have had all season was that one guy who was like a medical administration alien. <laughs> like his people were were the great bureaucrats of the Delta Quadrant. <laughs> and that's like a pretty funny idea for a a Star Trek alien, but I think yeah, like I liked all the themes of like, you know, heavy lies the head that wears the crown for for Harry I think it's it's pretty late in the game for him to be getting his own missions on this show and I'm glad that they're doing a little bit of that and I thought the the struggles that he went through were were interesting but yeah the half-assedness of the aliens and also the just like oh yeah right this is like a deadly this is a mission with deadly stakes and like <laughs> nobody really talked about that before it happened right felt a little bit like uh, they didn't think this one all the way through. 
I mean, in space, there's really no such thing as a as a safe mission. This is like surgery, right? There's there's risks for everyone. Yeah, yeah. So um, mixed feelings about this one, I guess I will say. I loved the restraint of centering Harry Kim in an episode and making it not a romantic situation whatsoever. Wasn't yeah. expecting that. I mean, you probably nailed Dela, right? Before she went and sure. Spock boxed herself. Gotta do that, yeah. He was stating the obvious again. She's dead. <laughs> <laughs> I also like the restraint of not, like, you gotta make Harry Kim look like a dope this episode, but they didn't make him look like he made his own extra pips and like put on a red uniform or whatever yeah to be captain of that ship like he, he didn't go all the way in a way that i enjoyed yeah i i like the episode i thought it was fun it was fun you're not wrong and plus voyager on the ground give me all of that give me all that voyager on the ground well adam do you want to see if uh anything puts it on the ground <laughs> in the priority one inbox Oh, yeah. I'm going to head there straight away. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. All right, Adam. Our first priority one message is of a promotional nature. It goes like this. You may know that Captain James T. Kirk is canonically from Riverside, Iowa, but what my column presupposes is, what if Big Rod only acknowledged that status after 38-ish years of trying to fight a city of like a thousand people? I'm an award-winning local journalist and columnist, and you can read my 1,800-word article on the matter at southeastiowaunion.com or probably by Googling it. Look for the headline, Riverside Rejoice, Trek Relevance is Canon at Last. This is uh, sent in by Kaylin McCain, and the call to action is, go confuse my editor by giving my column more views than we have readers. <laughs> this has got real Biff Yeager vibes, doesn't it? I really like this. Let's brigade the Southeast Iowa Union and, uh, and read this article. Get in the comment section of this article. Oh, man. Is there a comment section? Maybe write a letter to the editor. Tell him how great it is. Then our second priority one message is of a personal nature. It's from Richard P. in D.C. And it is to Ben, Adam, Wendy, and Bill. That message goes like this. I found Greatest Gen in the fall of 2017 where it became a salve for me on my commute to an unpaid internship in Congress. Dang. Seven years later... I've been thrown out of Congress for my many lies. <laughs> no, that's not it. Seven years later, this pee-pee-poo-poo-based Star Trek podcast has given me more than my subscription and this P1 could ever repay, but I aim to try. Thanks for everything, including letting me rant about trains at Hinterlands. <laughs> I remember Richard P. That yeah. rules. All Richard had to say was train rant. Yeah. I'm with Richard P. on the train rant. Yeah. Our final P1 today is from Chuck the Duck, and it's to Josh Cooley, comma, not the director of Toy Story 4. Mm. And it goes like this. To Joshua, a haiku. 
35 not prime Thursdays because it's tradition. Insert Tim Robinson gif here. Oh, to be too fixed. Josh, thanks for introducing me to Star Trek and especially so sharing your human lives with one another. And I reckon also for periodically sharing your parasocial pod friends. They're a hoot. Happy 35th year on this strange world, partner. Happy birthday. Yeah. Uh, happy birthday, Joshua. I hope I'm pronouncing Joshua correctly. <laughs> oh, probably. There's a there's a pronunciation guide, but it references Adventure Time, which I have not seen, unfortunately. Chuck the Duck understands that Jumbotron messages run on a first-come, first-served basis, and airing dates can't be guaranteed, and Maximum Fun is unable to refund a Jumbotron message if it runs outside of the preferred time frame. But if you'd like to get one, it's MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I think I'm going to give it to Tarek, because Tarek is very taken with Harry Kim at the beginning of this episode, and I feel like the way the actor portrayed this was really sweet and like really endearing, and I thought that he did a lot of great subtle stuff with suppressing how annoyed he was for the rest of the episode every time Harry gave him something to do and then was like, no, nah, I'll just do it. <laughs> I just, uh, I thought he, he uh, did a really funny job of, of conveying that. So uh, he's my drunk Shimoda this episode. How about you? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I'm shocked you didn't choose Harry Kim. Kim's all over the place this episode. Yeah. This may be an instance where the obvious choice is my choice for Miriam reasons, really. I don't think... I need to restate them all right now. Uh, I'm gesturing behind me to the episode. <laughs> Saxophone in the ready room. How about that? There's, there's one. One reason. There you go. Well, I'm gesturing to gach.biz slash game, where our runabout is currently on the 97th square. Adam, our next episode is season seven, episode nine, Flesh and Blood. Mm. The Doctor is torn between his duty to Voyager and his conscience when warrior holograms rebel against their Herogen creators. This is another photonic uprising? Bring back the Herogen. Yeah. Wow. I love those guys. The Banes are back, baby. Yeah. Big fun. So, uh, yeah, let me go ahead and uh, roll this bone. Could hit a space butthole, which would take us down to an nth degree square. Mm-hmm. Could hit that Warren hammered. Mm. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I have to roll to find out. <laughs> I rolled a natural three, Adam. Our next episode, we will be getting terribly, terribly drunk. I'm sorry to say. Oh, that's fitting. Wow. Wow. Power hour again? Again, what the fuck? Jesus Christ. Good thing we got that mead. Yeah, yeah. Would mead kill us in a power hour context? Mm. It's 6%, 6.5% alcohol, so it's not way more alcoholic than your average light beer. All right, sounds like a deal. All right, well, we got a lot of thanks to give. Thanks to the folks that support at MaximumFun.org slash join. Mm -hmm. Thanks to Wendy Pretty, our producer. Thanks to Bill Tilly, our car daddy, who runs the At Greatest Trek social media accounts. 
Big, big thanks to Adam Ragusea, who is hard at work on music for the next iteration of The Greatest Generation. Yeah. Check out his YouTube channel. It's so great. I think that's just about it, right? Yeah, that's it. It's all it needs to be this morning. With that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager where Adam and I will probably be so drunk that we think that our own holograms are rising up against us. Hey, Ben, have a good rest of the day. Hey, you too, buddy. Make it so. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artists-owned shows, supported directly by you.